Projects podcast, and today my guest is Shane Kafal and Adam Gross, and we are in um, Space 1028 and viewing the exhibition, The One Picture Show of Shane Kafal, and um, so happy to be here, and I'm looking at this huge painting on one side and a variety of works on papers on the other side. And thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Oh, thanks for having us, um, Victoria. It's always a pleasure to be here with both of you. Yes, indeed. And Remy. And Remy. My faithful Boston Terrier. Yes. <clears throat> right. Well, to begin with, Adam, the one picture show, Shane Where where does the name come from for that title? Well, the name comes from um, the, oh my God, why am I, it's, maybe it's a little too early for me right now, but it came, it, I was inspired to use the title. Well, there's two parts to that question, really. One is the, the words that were chosen in the title, and then the second is why those words were chosen or why, why, this, was con why this was conceived of as an idea in the first place. Um, the title was inspired by The Last Picture Show, right? That, that great film um, with Sybil Shepherd, and I'm spacing out on, on all the great actors that were in there. Um, but it's just that uh, it, 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 the, the title, I think, was more poetic for me and hearkening to the idea as opposed to there being anything specific from the film that mm -hmm. inspired me. Um, but you know, the second part of that question, which is the inspiration for the show, uh, comes from that idea of, you know, when you go into a museum, you go to a gallery, and you see a big painting in it, or you see a room full of big paintings. And yeah. when an artist has kind of done it right, it, it looks simple. It looks like it's always been there. It looks um, inevitable as an action and mm -hmm. as an expression. Um, but the reality is, particularly for big paintings, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And not just the work that goes into... Um, standing in front of that blank canvas and filling it. Um, there's the work that goes into conceiving it. There's the work that goes into, you know, for some artists that's making prep sketches and, um, and doing studies and, and doing that really odd na ad nauseum until you are a master of that subject. Um, you know, for other artists like Shane, for example, um, the, 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 the work that it took to get to this one big painting, to this mm -hmm. one big picture, um, was less about, I think, prep sketches and more about process and really creating for himself a, a voice, um, a, 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 an approach that, that is distinct and that is worthy of being explored. So the idea for the show ultimately comes down to how can we explore how can we explore what gets us from like 1991, which is you know some of the earliest work in yeah. the show, to 2018, and uh, you know the work in 1991 is maybe 12 by 16, you know modestly scaled, and by 2018 suddenly there's this there's this presence. Right. Um, and there's there's also a there's like a historical precedent for the show. Uh, I, mean, I mean the idea for me in this exhibition is that we will do this with other artists over time. You know, mm -hmm. when I come across an artist who's painting big um, or just did something really grand, you know, maybe there is another opportunity to explore that. But, but the historical precedent, which I don't really talk about in the, um, in the press release and I, I don't really write about a lot, but because it's more anecdotal. Um, and it, it comes back to the fact that um, I'm sitting in 
a gallery, which Space 1028, or we are all sitting in this space, um, which you know once was Ed Boucher's painting studio, um, one of many that he had in this complex. And um, you know, from what I have understood and what I've gathered, you know, on, on the the wall that I'm looking at right now, the wall facing the wall where Shane's big painting is, um, that's where Ed painted the Standard Station painting, which is one big painting. What I what I've heard anecdotally and never was able to really like confirm was that um, that when when Ed would paint a big painting, he would basically paint like one big painting every once in a while, maybe we'll call it every year. Um, and oftentimes it would happen over the summer and, and what would happen in the courtyard is that there would be these events or these you know, kind of impromptu dinner parties. Um, you know, I've heard tales of you know, take plates of tacos from El Cholo being brought in. And, and the idea was, was to show off what Ed's working on because you know, when you're making a big painting, it's a big process, it's a big investment of time and these are things that evolve over time. Um, and, and ultimately, for an artist, you need to find a home for these big paintings. Right. Um, and for a dealer and for anybody, you know, because they, they do take a lot of effort, they do take a lot of materials, and, and ultimately, when you're done with them, you've got to store it if you don't have a place for it to live. Yeah. Um, so I, they, th those, were, th those stories, those anecdotes that I, I was just conveying or sharing were um, conveyed to me by, by several people, and they, they, they typified it as, they called it the... Um, the uh, summer blockbuster, like that Ed would every once in a while do a summer blockbuster. And it wouldn't be a show. It would take him, I talked to Ed about it one time, he said it would take him the entire summer to do those standard gasoline stations, paintings. And he did work on, on this wall. And he would, you know, do sketches, lots of sketches, lots of prepping, and then map it all out precisely and then go and paint it. But it would take him all summer. But that's it. So I mean, that, thank you, Shane, yeah. for, for confirming what I what I suspected and, and sensed. But you know, it's but that's it. Like these are big investments of time. They're big investments of material. They take energy, a yeah. lot of energy, mm -hmm. and a lot of sustained energy. And um, both physical and mental. That yeah. concentration. Yeah. Concentration. I mean, for me, working on this big painting behind you here, I would stagger out at the end of the day, mm -hmm. and I. And because the reds are so intense in it, <clears throat> I would, uh, I would, it was like I would go snow blind. Interesting. And every two couple hours I'd have to stop yeah. and, and sit down at this table that I had in my studio and just pick up a book to rest my eyes. Yeah. yeah rest your eyes, rest your brain. Yeah. Or, rest your body. I or, mean. or I would rest my body. Or I was also working simultaneously on a uh, gray painting called Between Heavens. Mm -hmm. So I would switch to that to allow, allow my eyes to rest, to adjust. Yeah, yeah. gets back yeah. to it. I remember the red would hurt your eyes. You're like, I'm just, it's just too much red now. I need to take a break. Yeah. I remember. I would say that, yeah. But, well, that's, yeah. Oh, but I, I just want to say though, but in, in the case of this one big picture show, Shane didn't say, I'm going to make a summer blockbuster. I just want to be clear to our listeners. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shane, and, and we'll ask Shane about why he had the paint so big. And, and let's, um, Adam, if you want to describe this big painting, what it, what it feels like to the listener. Yeah, well, hopefully, there'll be, I'm imagining there'll be an image of it on the yeah. website. Hopefully yeah. people can see it there. But um, it's uh, got, it's about seven by eight and a half feet. Nine feet. Seven, seven feet by nine feet. Seven feet by nine feet. Yep. Um, I, 
so it's, it's, it's big. Um, but I always think about these paintings as being about as big as Shane can paint, right? Like this is not, he's not getting on a scaffolding. He's not, you know, building an, an armature around it. He is, these are human scale, but they're extraordinary human scale, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also think about artists like Rothko and that idea that, you know, by painting something large enough, you can, you can really capture people's attention, engage them fully, mentally, visually, physically with the painting. I think you said Herculean. Herculean, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's... It's epic. That it's is epic. It, yeah, it is, it is epic. I mean, and, you know, listen, it's epic partly because it's big. It's epic partly because of where it comes from and the inspiration. Um, you know, these, these still point paintings are, or at least this one, um, are inspired by T.S. Eliot's quartet, four quartet um, epic poem that he writes during World War II. So, you know, there's, there's that epic, it's almost like you can't avoid the epic nature of this, you know, showing all, all the elements that come into it, the scale, the, the preparation, the inspiration, um, the toil, uh, are all Herculean. They are all epic in and, scale. And the title of the work, Only Through Time Is Time Conquered. Yeah. So that within itself <clears throat> sets the stage. It, it really does. And... To, to go back to the description, you know, you're, what you're looking at is um, at one point, it's this, uh, it's this sort of like tightly wound but perfectly smooth or calm expression. I, I don't know how to, else to explain it. Um, you know, you're looking at a series of lines that Shane has slowly and meticulously painted onto this canvas, um, and line after line after line. Um, has been swirled and mixed and decided upon and elevated and defined in a way that it creates something that is both incredibly chaotic but ultimately completely peaceful. You know, it's almost like looking at the uh, a photo of the galaxy or the photo of the Milky Way or something like that of our, our own galaxy. You know, yeah. it's, you, you sense the chaos and complexity in it, but you sense the absolute perfection and beauty of it as well. And, and the idea of only through time is time conquered, um, you know, there's a circularity in that statement. This idea that time, that time defines itself, that time is its own limit somehow. And, and that, that seems really appropriate for this painting in particular. Um, and, you know, the fact that the, the predominant color is red um, gives it a real presence, and then these these little sort of these light orange and yellow highlights that define the different um, the different uh, layers of it and the depth in it, um, and then sort of going back to this these blue thicker lines that that seem to both recede into the background and emerge from some like blue primordial haze. So. Um, and, uh, and I'll tell you what I was... That's what, it, that's what it looks like to me. What was going through my mind is that the, the lines that are further back, they're submerged in the gray, right? Mm -hmm. And so the gray becomes a, a, an atmospheric tone, sort of, almost like a watery, wispy thing that I painted it so that it's out of focus. Hmm. And then... The layers that went from a, that purple to went from a blue to a purple to a dark red, a, a magenta, then to a cadmium red dark, cadmium red medium, cadmium red light, and then uh, orange cadmium, 
<clears throat> and then a yellow cadmium deep. And so as it as the lines came, I was thinking about that it's coming as it comes closer to me. Um, my presence is what's illuminating it. Uh, yeah, that, that sense of illumination too, that sense of light. Yeah. Um, I mean, somebody was just in here and said, God, you know, like it feels like it's perfectly lit, even though, I mean, it's clearly this gallery could use a little lighting upgrade. Yeah. But, um, the, um, but in the meantime, you know, that is something that is so powerful about your work and the fact that when you're painting these, you know, I know that you rotate them and this yeah. idea that the light source <clears throat> is painted from multiple perspectives, but ultimately for this one, it sounds like it's coming from, from me, from you, from me, which ultimately it means it's also coming from the viewer. And, but it's also backlit as the lights coming from behind in the, the same way that if you're standing underneath a tree and you're looking up at the sky mm -hmm. and the way that the light filters through the branches, mm -hmm. um, that's going on in there as well. So it's a, there's two different light sources. There's one from deep inside and then there's one right in front of it. Yeah, that, that supports this idea that, that I feel like that those, those the background layer, or I don't know how else to talk about it, is, um, is both, as you said, sort of being like submerged in mm -hmm. the sea, but it's also somehow emerging, you know, and that light source, I think, really, um, really speaks. There's, a, you know, and it's also the way that not we as humans see, but the way a camera lens sees. Hmm. Because if you get a camera lens that, uh, like a uh, long distance, you know, and you can focus on something close, everything mm -hmm. behind it gets blurry. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, that's, we, our, the human eye doesn't see that way, mm -hmm. but the camera does. Hmm. So I'm using tricks of photography hmm. to, to emphasize the emotional experience I want the viewer to have. Well, I, and I think that that's, that supports this idea of like, why do you paint a painting this big? Mm -hmm. um, is because it's to provide the viewer an opportunity to really get lost in this, to yeah. be submerged, to be submerged yeah. in this, <clears throat> in this feeling, you know, because like you said, the way that you're capturing this with your view, there's, there's no subject in this, right. you know, there's no, there's no, I mean, there's sort of, you can imagine a focal point that coalesces around the center, but um, there's nothing really to let your eyes rest upon. So your eyes just sort of naturally move mm -hmm. through it. So it becomes less about, that's why when you ask me to describe it, it's like, I almost can describe the feeling more than I can describe yeah. the actual yeah. painting itself. Yeah. Because the, the, yeah. the feeling that it gives me is something that is both, um, you know, sort of like forceful and it's like its presence cannot be denied, but something that is ultimately comforting, you know, like a, like a, somehow like a blanket that <laughs> I could just fall into. Um, and I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with this painting, both in this exhibition, but also as a, a point of meditation for me, you know, this yeah. is something that I will meditate to on a daily basis. And it does provide that kind of, uh, intellectual mental release because your eyes are not stuck on something. Mm -hmm. Your eyes are constantly sort of moving through. It, yeah, and it, what you said, there's no subject matter. That's an interesting thought for me because, you know, Western art mainly is, is subject matter driven. Mm -hmm. And Eastern art is often not. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a combination of the two. I'm still using that Renaissance window 
to define space. But <clears throat> the subject is, is really me making a mark over a six-month period of time that becomes an accumulation of marks and thoughts. And every day as I go into the studio, went in the studio to work on this painting, different things were happening. So it changed my movements. Um, so this all becomes a sort of a self-documentation of, of what I was perceiving each moment of each day. Hmm. And all combined in, hmm. I feel, when these things are successful, the reason why they're successful is because they bypass our ability to um, intellectualize what they are. Mm. And we're forced into a moment of just reckoning, mm. you know? <clears throat> and so if you, can't, if you can't wrap your head around what it is, you just have to accept it for what it is. Mm. And then you have to accept yourself for who you are in that moment. So you're creating like a little space for us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, but you know, it's it's ultimately I think that the success of these is because it it, it allows the viewer to be in the now. Yeah. Not in the past, not in the future, but in the now. So what the idea that you meditate to it that that's exactly that. It's a perfect. But you know the the being in the now. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, that, I mean, I wrestle with that every day when I'm meditating, you know? So Everybody this, does. So this idea <laughs> of providing a place and a space and a visual space where, where you're surrounded by beauty, but you're kind of befuddled by what you see and that you're, you're forced to just let go. Yes. You're forced to relax. Yes. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about your process now and what you were just saying about how you, you're, you're going through life, you're going through your days, you're seeing these different things and you're, they're somehow being reflected in mm -hmm. what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. They can't help but be, but, right. um, but, it, but it becomes so universal, like this idea of beauty. And, but, you know, let's, but let's talk for a second about the scale too, because, you know, we had, we had the premise for this, we had talked a little bit about Ed and doing this like one big painting. Um, you know, Shane has painted several of these big paintings, and and I think it speaks more to you as an artist and what your goal is, which is this idea of exploring beauty and um, you know, like while we were talking about Rothko and that idea mm -hmm. of these paintings are just so big that they take your visual space, right. you know, um, and they immerse you in them, getting rid of distractions. Right, and seven feet by nine feet, it's bigger than me. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm just shy of six feet. Mm. So I wanted it to be bigger than me. Mm. Mm. I, you know, so that I just am merely a participant. Mm. So, and it's interesting because, you know, I mean, seven by nine feet, it's a, it's a, it's a good number. It's a good ratio. <laughs> um, but I, because when I describe it and I'll stand in front of it and think like, it's basically the distance that you can reach. Yep without like taking two steps you know you, yeah. can, you can go to your left you can go to your right well, that's about nine nice feet stuff. you can reach right. up you get to about you know seven eight feet so, yep um so but it's but it's just interesting that your your concern is not about like okay i'm going to paint this big painting and i'm going to invest everything into this big painting and you know like let's find a home for it but how can i create this environment that will be um you know where, where 
you know, it's like, listen, it's like the Rothko Chapel, mm -hmm. where you put four of these in a, a room, mm -hmm. a tight room, and you've got low light, and they're lighted appropriately, um, where you can just get lost. Yeah. Um, so it's more about, and this, this speaks, I think, to that difference in the artist who, as you were mentioning, the artist who does many prep sketches, um, gets the perspective right, gets the, the elements right, and then makes the investment, versus the artist, in this case you, who wants to just dive into these things and, um, and explore them visually, conceptually, yeah. metaphysically. And this is both drawn and painted. Mm. It's you know, a good some, like if you look at a Rothko, that painting is painted. Mm -hmm. If you look at say some of Picasso's works, um, they're drawn with mm -hmm. paint. Mm -hmm. And but this is a combination of both. Well, that, and that's the other thing <clears throat> that I have to explain to people. And I'm really happy that we have um, you know as part of this process show um, we have the palette that Shane used, which. Um, you know, to describe it because you're not seeing it, um, it's not the little hand palette that, you know, you would imagine a plein air artist um, painting yeah. with. No. It's a, uh, it's an industrial grade craftsman that, you know, it's a kind of, it's a kind of trolley that frankly you would see in a, um, a mechanic a shop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on top of it is a three quarter inch piece of plywood or an inch piece of plywood that's maybe three feet by three feet. And it's just piled with half used paint tubes and brushes and, little pieces of palette and cups where the, the glaze and the mediums were held. Um, so it's nice because I can stand next to this painting and show somebody the half an inch, three quarter inch brush mm -hmm. that you're using mm -hmm. to paint 63 square feet mm -hmm. of canvas. Mm -hmm. I mean, a half an inch wide brush mm -hmm. is yeah. used to paint something like this. And that, like that is Herculean. I mean, that's like. Is that the definition of insanity? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know, it's like, it does look a little bit like you're a laborer here with this industrial um, workstation <clears throat> that you've created. You're, you're not a, um, a refined artist with a cap and, you know. Yeah, with your gloves you know, on. And you've, no. got, you've got your gamsel, you've got, you know, your paint, you've got your rags, you've got your brushes, you've, you've got all your supplies, you've got little. Um, buckets and pails to hold certain types of paints. I mean, I mean and it's on wheels. And it's, it's on wheels. wheels. Yeah. So I would um, just, you know, I roll it from one painting to the next. I so here's, like a medicine kit or something. Yeah. So in, in all my research, you know, on different artists and things like that, um, one of the things that Andy Warhol said, if you want to know who I am, look at the surface of my paintings. Mm. And if I propose that question to you, mm. what does it tell the viewer? Are you asking me or Adam? Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's up well, to the maybe that's up to the viewer. I don't know. I mean, I can I can tell you from my perspective. Yeah. Mm. What, what would you say? Um, that you know that you're. I mean, it's it's funny because at one point you're describing the painting, at the same point you're almost describing the person. You know, well, it's, a, person. it's it's yeah. complex. For Andy it's, Warhol, was like. Well, I don't even make my paintings. Well, right, there was a simplicity to it. Yeah, you know. yeah, like they're manufactured. So you really don't know who I am. Right. Because and he also didn't want any evidence of his human hand. His brush. Yeah, right. he yeah. wanted to be a machine. <clears throat> See, now, if, and if you look closely at this painting, you'll find uh, brush hairs that, have, mm -hmm. that are in it. And people always said to me, like, 
especially like Mike Rosenfeld, he's like, why don't you take why these don't you out? those out? And, you... and I said, because it's evidence of its making. Yeah. That's why. Well, and you know, also it's interesting because, you know, like we, you referenced Warhol, so I, I'll just pick up on that for a second. Um, you know, there, he's coming out of the 50s and 60s, this is post-World War II New York, um, this, this idea of things being machine-made, you know, it's like a, a hungry man, frozen dinners, like yeah. this, yeah. this idea of this like idyllic future where everything is just going to be manufactured, machine-made, and, and you know, and slick and beautiful. And that, was, and that was entirely appropriate for the moment, but you know, I think that what we're dealing with now, 50 years later, is this recognition, and I think this is what you see in Shane's work, this recognition that, um, that yes, there's a virtue to uh, the machine craft and the fact that you can have you know, infinitely reproducible items and they'll all be the same and um, fit within each other, but there's also this idea that, that beauty, and beauty in particular, by the human hand, like created by the human hand, is important. And I always have this theory that um, that humans, and actually, I, this is not even a theory. I think it's true that humans humans are really good pattern pickers, right? Like, and, and I remember I was working on a project at the um, uh, the Carnegie um, Observatories, and uh, it was with this photographer named Matthew Brandt, and. Uh, we laid out to one of the astronomers all these pictures of the night sky that were taken via Hubble. Mm. And then there was a picture that was the same exact reproduction, the same paper and everything, that was a version of the night sky, but made by an artist, right? Mm. And we were like, we're laying them down, and the, the astronomer, like we put it down, and without, like I couldn't even pull my hand away from it, and she was like, that's not, that's not the night sky. That's, that's human made. And, and she said, you know, humans, not only are we good at identifying patterns, but we're, we are almost, we almost can't escape the patterns. Mm -hmm. and, and she said, you know, if you look at those stars on this piece of paper, they might look random, but they are not random, what this person made. Mm -hmm. And in fact, his trying to make them random makes them less random. Yeah. So I think what we're talking about is this idea that, 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 there's, that, that humanity can be messy. And, and, but ultimately, it depends on how you're going to look at it. And I think that through Shane's lens, and through the lens of this painting, um, you look at, at this world that we have, that I have right now, and acknowledge that it's a big, messy place. But if you stand and look at it right, and you look at it long enough, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. And that there is a place for the human hand. And human touch, and there is a place for um, for creativity like this um, that isn't machine made. I mean, this denies a machine. It there's there. It is so personal and it is so intimate. Um, so I, I just think of it as uh, as that. I don't know if I even answered that question, but uh, but the idea that this is a painting and this is a moment where where beauty is needed. You know, we've just come off of a, a 15 month long, 16 month long COVID adventure mm -hmm. where we were all locked up. Um, you know, there was a lot lost in all of that. And that what we need now is not the cold comfort of machine reproduction, but, but the warm embrace of human kindness and human connectivity. Contact. Human contact. I mean, if there's one thing that 
and this is specific to right now, to today, which is what, June 3rd, June 4th, um, uh, human contact throughout this COVID event has been something that I have really missed, mm. and I think we all have. Mm. And that's why something like this is so important, and why a painting like this is so important, because it does provide a moment of connection, of mm -hmm. recognition. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, each line is about the interconnectedness of everything, is what, it re for me, what it represents, and what, it's what I'm thinking of. And, and sometimes I'll pick up a line that was in the background, and I'll pull it out to the front, and I'll let the viewer know this is now coming out to the front, because at the front of it, I'm going to paint it a cabinet yellow. So again, as it's coming towards us, it becomes lighter, because mm -hmm. we're the light source. Well, and, and let, me, let me explain how I, first of all, it's a very good point, and that, that takes me to this idea of the intentionality of those choices that you're making, because the way I describe it to people is, um, and, and I, I want to share with how I describe it to make sure that I'm getting this right, you know. Um, but I mean, right, wrong, it's just my interpretation yeah. at a certain point. But, you know, it's this idea that, um, that you know, as we go through our days, what is it, about 80% of the actions we take, 80% of the thoughts we have are identical to the thought we had, the, the thoughts we had the day before and the day before that and the day before that. Uh -huh. and, and what ends up happening with us is that for those thoughts that are repeated, we become a little um, uh, uh, untethered, right? So we've, um, uh, we've, sorry, I'm, I'm speaking of untethered, I think I've untethered myself from this line of thought, but um, they become more automated, right? So you're less aware of your actions during these times. But, but sometimes in these actions, something will happen that forces you to, to deal with that thing, right? So. Maybe it was a, an accident that you got into. Maybe it was an error that you made on something. And suddenly, suddenly that, that unconscious gesture becomes conscious. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're forced to deal with that. And, and so I think that for me, what this painting does is that it talks about, I talk about it like you, you know, sort of process-wise, emptying your mind, standing in front of it, letting your hand slowly make these gestures. Much like in our day, we, we, we make these gestures that, that are, are all sort of equal at a certain point, and it depends on what you choose to make important, mm -hmm. what you choose to focus your attention mm -hmm. on. So, so you're making these lines that are, that are, they're all made with the same brush. Yep. They're all made with the same paint. Yep. So as you're putting them down, they're basically all equal. Mm -hmm. But then you have to start making aesthetic choices and decisions about like, this one is going to be in the background, this one's going to be in the foreground. Right. So it's, it's like life, you know, you, you make these right. decisions, most of them are unconscious, but every once in a while one forces itself or forces you to acknowledge it and to start making decisions about it. And um, so that's, that's mm -hmm. how I see this as this metaphor for, this painting as a metaphor for life. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. And um, I mean, so is the poem. That yeah. It's inspired by. Yeah. Let's, it, uh, anyway. let's talk a little bit about some of the other works. Um, uh, you have pieces by the Evidence series. The Evidence series, yes. So let's, let's talk about, <coughs> Those again, are, like, uh, you know, your <coughs> choice for a topic of series, Evidence. Right. Well, those, those pieces are on handmade Japanese paper that I got years ago from Hiromi Papers. Mm -hmm. And I gessoed the paper and then I went over it with um, uh, oil sticks. Mm -hmm. 
And then while it was still wet, I would draw, make a mark on it, you know, mm -hmm. a calligraphic mark, and then hit it with a, a brush and to kind of bleed it out or blur Brush it out. back. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah. And then what I realized is that there was <clears throat> the, the texture of the, of the paper, it raised some areas and the brushes, brush hairs that would get caught in it would raise the areas. And I thought, well, and again, you know, I always like to think that there's so much going on around us that we just can't even see. And you know, potentially all the other dimensions are right in front of us, but what if we could touch them? Mm. What would, how would we know? How would we know that we just touched another dimension? Hmm. What evidence would there be? Hmm. So the evidence, that's what these are. Hmm. And so the surface touches another world. Hmm. So it's like the membrane yeah. kind of thing between, yeah. between worlds. Between worlds, yes. And so, uh, like the top one, the blue, the, the evidence is the red. Mm, interesting. The red touched, yeah. Mm. And, and what about these Untitled series over here? Well, and hold on, before we get into each one, <laughs> let me just explain what we're looking at. So, the, the idea, and it was, it was kind of hard to do this show curatorially, yeah, because, yeah, because you want to... Well, because you because you you want to show I want to show a lot of other paintings because the paintings do show mm -hmm. an evolution, um, but the title of the damn show like ties my hands. It's like the one picture show. I mean, it could be the one painting show, but yeah, um, it's still tied to that movie title. But uh, you know, I I really wanted there to only be one painting in this exhibition. So all the rest of the works that you see are all works on paper. Um, so there's maybe another 15, 18 works on paper spread throughout the room. Um, they are uh, starting from 1991 um, and then go all the way up to 2018 and um, both show Shane as a colorist. They show Shane as a, I'll use the word calligrapher, you know, even though that's not, I mean it is the, calligraphic would be the adjective to use or the adverb I guess to use. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but also you know there's this there's this darkness too and there's you know the few pieces that I included that um, that you know for, are from that series you know f through the darkness comes the light yeah or from the darkness comes the light um, uh, so the darkness shall be the light so the darkness shall be the light yes. thank you very much yes uh, but you know so I do want to talk more about these individual paintings but it's what was interesting is that um, when we were, I was going through the archives and pulled this big painting. You know, only through time is time is is time conquered. I found that there was a smaller version of this painting, and like my experience and logic would dictate that Shane makes a smaller painting and goes, "Okay, those colors look good and what have you." So now I'm going to make the bigger painting. You know, like before I make the big investment, I'm going to make the modest investment. But that's not no, how it worked. No, I always no. work backwards. <laughs> so no. did, so you you painted the big one first, first, and I thought, I wonder if I can pull off the same weight and intensity and beauty in a smaller scale. Yeah. And then um, there was an exhibition that I was uh, invited to do in um, Europe and I got a floor plan of the space and so I was figuring out, you know, how many paintings, what sizes they needed to be. So that also pointed me in that direction. So you, but, need, you basically needed a smaller painting. Yeah, I needed a smaller painting, and then I gave myself a challenge to see if I could 
pull that off or not. But um, I would say it was very successful. So the work is, it's you know, not officially part of the show, but it is in the room. It's sort of like, yeah. it's like leaned informally against the wall. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it is the other painting in the show. But I felt like, you know, because of the fact that it is a diminutive version, or not diminutive, a smaller, smaller version, version of the, yeah. the larger painting. Well, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, you, it, was, uh, it was a real interesting thing to try to do. And, you know, when I think I've got something nailed down and then I go to try to do another version of it, I realize I don't have anything nailed down. Anything. And everything is a process. Each single day is a new process. Even though I've got my bag of tricks and my toolkit, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm still, I feel like I'm relearning how to ride a bike. But man, listen, this, this does speak to the, you know, like I'm just reminded of my meditation practice, yeah. you know, about this idea of just being present yeah. and just showing up and just knowing that you've got a toolkit with you yeah. that can handle most anything. Yeah. And if it can't, you'll deal with that too. It'll be, you know, <laughs> and that's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough place. It's a tough place to be, you know, like yeah. we talked about us as pattern seeking people. We like, we like sure. creature comforts, you know, we, we like regularity. Yeah, we do. And, and I find when I travel, um, being stuck in a hotel room, I, it throws me so off course. Mm. And especially if it's a foreign country, it's like, well, maybe I'll watch TV. Well, it's in a foreign language. Right. So I, I, if that doesn't work for me, unless it's the Cosby show or something that's, that's got voiceovers right, right, in right, Italian, right. you know, that's fun. Um, but I, it really throws me off course because I have my patterns, my rituals, yeah. my rhythms. Um, and so when I'm on a traveling like that for an exhibition, 10 days, I'm like done. Yeah. I, get me out. You know, the more artists that I talk to, and especially like as they get older, yeah. they get to a point where like, you know what? I don't want to go to the opening anymore. Right. I don't want to do the dinner. Like, yeah. I like to stay where I am. I like to fucking make these paintings, pardon yeah. my French, you know, <laughs> stop bothering me and right. let me paint kind of thing. Oh, yeah. No, the openings. I, I mean, that's one thing I've enjoyed about this pandemic. There's no openings. It's like, yay. And, you know, we did a, we did a, I did a show in Orange County of my self-portraits and it was a Zoom opening and I thought, this perfect. I like. <laughs> this is perfect. All right. So now yeah, back, to, back, yeah, back to, back to, back to, back to the, the paintings. The, these ones over here. Right. The works on paper. The watercolors. Yeah. The crossings? You want, you want to no, not the crossings. The earliest ones. Yeah, the earliest oh, ones. Oh, and these, I, I have to tell you, are masterpieces. And listen, I've known Shane for 25 years. I have never seen these pieces before. Never. And I mean, when I opened the drawers and saw them in there, I mean, in fact, that was the, the show at a certain point is about those three watercolors from 1991 because I saw those and knew that those had to be included in something, that people needed to see them. And it's funny because people are really starting to, the more I talk to them about it, the more they are seeing the greatness in them. Um, because, you know, it's like anything, you've got you've to see them in person. Yeah, thank you. I remember doing those. It was at, sitting at the dining room table. And 1991, I was working for Ed Roche and Joe Good, a mm -hmm. studio assistant for both of them. And um, I was kind of commuting back and forth to LA, back to the Grant family farm. And I remember sitting at the dining room table making those. And it was a way to slow me back down again mm. and really absorb the quiet silence mm. of being on the farm as mm. opposed to being in LA. Mm -hmm. And, and I also, you know, a huge fan of um, 
the Kandinsky watercolors, mm. Cezanne watercolors. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, can I can I use that medium uh, and make it work for me? Well, and also enter into that dialogue yeah. with people like Cezanne and Kandinsky, and, because yeah. I mean, the Cezanne reference was one. I'm happy that you made it because it was the first reference that I could come up with for those. Yeah. Even though they're purely abstract, I mean, there is a there is a sort of a, there's a ribbon that right. traces the line through there, which sort of harkens to Kandinsky. But the uh, the palette and the way that you're handling that color and and the the way you're handling the the, the medium is it's very much Cezanne in the. Uh, the Mount, uh, Mount yes. Saint-Victoire. Saint yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you said um, in your statement it was where Cezanne, who endlessly painted Mount Saint-Victoire from different, from mainly one location, but it was his his rock. Right. He, yes. I mean, he abandoned um, friends and family from Mount Saint-Victoire. For his rock, yeah. For, 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 for painting that. And, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you said, Adam, that Shane kind of picked up where Cezanne left and, and these works. Well, I mean, because Cezanne is, it, it's like, it's a landscape, but he's sort of exploding this landscape so he can explore this oh, landscape. Oh, it's a complete that's a, abstraction. That's it's the way that I think. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at those and then you look at Picasso and you go, yeah, yeah I, I get yeah. it. Like, I get yeah. your inspired view. And, but, um, you know, it's, um, uh, what were we talking about? It's the most of the mountains we Oh, yeah. Um, Cezanne's, it, those landscapes became an emotional um, plateau, and and I think what you were saying was that Shane sort of picked up on that, and the ribbon, the beginning. This is 1991. Mm -hmm. You know, Shane didn't know that the ribbon and it was going to be my this motif that I just continued to explore. work with your muse and yeah, my muse. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, so I think I probably left these things sitting out on the table, mm -hmm. right? And then I had to go back down to LA. Well, either my mother or father put them in the piano bench for safekeeping. Just, yeah, just, let's get them and, off the table. Yeah. And it yeah. was years later, many, many, many years later, I was looking for a piece of sheet music to sit down and play the piano. Mm -hmm. And there they were. I thought, what? Wow. How did these end up in here? That's crazy. Right, like you basically had forgotten I about them. I totally forgot about them. Until, and the, but then you saw them and you yeah. remembered. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's uh, but that I mean that always you know when they when they find like Michelangelo drawing yeah. in some library somewhere I'm like well that's you that know happens. Like, that happens it happens um, but you know it's I'm happy that you brought up like where you're painting those and, and a little bit why you're painting those because you know I, when I. I'm on a road trip when I've been driving for three hours. Mm -hmm. It's like my I stop. You, know, you get out of the car, you physically stop, but it's almost like your body is still moving. Like yeah. it's it still thinks it's moving somehow. Yeah. And and that idea, you know, when you do live in a bigger metropolis like Los Angeles, you get out of your car, and your body is still moving, but you feel normal because everybody's still moving. Like yeah. there's so much movement happening. Yeah. And then you know you juxtapose that to getting out of your car in Strathmore, yeah. on the ranch, and the quietness of that. So that idea of, of this, this becomes a meditation for you. Yeah. This becomes your way of slowing yourself down. Absolutely. And I, you know, in thinking about it like that, it's like all, almost all of these works are, in a sense, my own meditation, form mm -hmm. of meditation. Mm -hmm. like the crossings, this, certainly. Yeah, the crossings, too. And the crossings I did, 
um, when I had a studio in downtown LA. And it was in a really, really, really bad area. And every day when I drive down there, I, I'd park and I'd go to get out of the car and I'd be surrounded by drug dealers and prostitutes and homeless people. And I'd have to yell at them to step back, step back. Not here to shop. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I would go into my studio and it was a big open space. I think it was 1,500 square feet and with wooden floors. And I would walk just start walking around the studio and I would say everything out loud that was on my mind hmm. until I ran out of words. Hmm. And then and I'd have a piece of paper ready lying on the floor with watercolors and, and a spray bottle. And I would start make I would make a mark going from one side to the other. And then I would try which is a very spontaneous mark. And then I would try to replicate that mark over and over and over. And then I would cross it by doing the same activity again. Hence crossings. Hence crossings. And then I would I would use a spray bottle to move the watercolor around. Mm -hmm. And I'd leave some, some areas dry, some areas. And then they, these crossings would become these moments of interaction and these little explosions that would happen. As a, and then I'd just have to walk away. And it would take hours, all day for them to dry mm -hmm. before I saw, could see if I had anything worth keeping mm -hmm. or not. Did you edit these down? I mean, were there ones that you were like, oh, I ripped them up. Wow. Yeah. If I didn't like them, I just tear them up. Damn. Is that, is that tough to tear it up? Or are you like, 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 yeah, I'm happy to tear you up because I don't I, want you in well, existence. Well, I you know? just think to myself, you know, 50 years from now, do I want to see this thing going up for auction? Yeah. Would I be okay with that? No. No. So let's tear, let's this, tear it let's up. Let's tear it up. Yeah. That's good. The, it's funny what you described because, I mean, it's, it's not... But what I'm about to explain speaks to just the limits of material. But you were describing elements of what you described where you're laying down the, the pigment and the watercolor and then using a spray bottle to, mm -hmm. to dilute it and to let it run. It reminds me a little bit of San Francis. Mm -hmm. Now, you're familiar with San Francis. Sure. Ed was San Francis' studio assistant. You were Ed's studio assistant. I, you know, I, that... helped, I helped out of Sam's studio a few times. Okay, so there's, yeah. there's that lineage. But yeah. th there's really no way that I would say, oh, well, you know, Shane... Shane is using Sam's right. technique. Right. You know, yeah. you're, it's just that water and pigment yep. and watercolor paper. On the floor. On the floor is going to give you certain and, results. And know? the floor wasn't level all the way across. Ah, so it was like... So I would here. sometimes move the piece of paper soaking wet to get it running in one direction versus hmm. another. Little, so, little tricks, you know, you learn as you're walking around and you feel it. Well, were you painting paintings at the same time? Yes. Okay, so th this gets to what you were talking about, about painting this big painting, you know, yeah. only through time is time conquered, um, and the, the red, for example. But I always, when uh, when I'm walking people through the studio or, or showing them some of your smaller works, I, I explain it, again, less like, oh, Shane's doing prep sketches for something bigger, but more like, Shane's just been painting on this big red painting all day, and now he needs to clear his palate. Yeah. Like now he needs to sit down because again, standing up for four yeah. or five hours a day, you know, in front of your, when you paint in front of your paintings are, if there's a pad yeah. so that it won't be so hard on your back. Eight hours a day sometimes. Eight hours a day. And when you're done with that, oh. you, I mean, eight, I mean, eight hours a day, you probably want to just like lay out. Yeah. But after, you know, four or five hours, you probably want to sit down and clear your visual palette, yep. work but, on something smaller. But with these crossings, I would start the day with these. And so mm. they were my way of, of getting my mind into that creative space. Okay, so 
that's partly because of the fact that you have to get in your car, drive yes. for 20 minutes, go through a phalanx, phalanx of you know drug dealers and yep. prostitutes to get to your place, yeah. to your space where you're gonna paint, versus when you have the studio here, right. where you can just walk. Walk right across the courtyard, or walk right up the street, or in Strathmore, walk yeah. right across the, the, the yeah. yard, and and mm. just start immediately. Yeah. So you don't, so, so these, small, so these right. small works become things that you do afterwards now, right. versus right. before, where they were things that like would open you yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was really, um, it was interesting, and they, they kept evolving. First they were just, lines going straight down mm -hmm. and then I would cross them and then I start going from corner to corner um, then I start using different colors and I think I did them for about three years um, I don't know how many I did but and they were you know collectors would come down and just buy them and they were like bread and butter for me well I mean you know they're small they're yes. approachable they're they're affordable. Yeah. Um, you know, they really look nice in a series. You put yeah. a few up on the wall together. I mean, here I've got three that um, yeah. are like really bold colors. You know, green, um, like a magenta, yeah. purple, and a really vibrant orange. Um, and and then you know, like I put that that black and yellow one down mm -hmm. there, um, which is it's kind of interesting because this is one I always look at these other ones as a study in color, right? But in one color, right? In green, in magenta, in orange. But the, uh, I, I put the smaller, not the smaller one, but the black and yellow one aside because it felt different. Yeah, and that was a later one. And, and you know, so on that one, the, the yellow went down first and then the black mm. over the top of it. But I wanted that yellow, it's almost like there's a clearing mm. from the darkness so you can see the light. Mm. Yeah, only through the darkness. So we're kind of coming to a close, but before okay. we do, we've got one last group really to talk about and that's the Rin and Lapsus um, yeah. pastel on paper. And There's also that guy up there. The oh, number one. Yeah, number yeah. series. The number series. We've, we've we'll, got, we'll, like, we'll quickly move through these. Though. Yeah, we've got like less than 10 minutes. Okay. So Lumen Lapsus, um, you know, included in the show are two sizes of Lumen Lapsus. One I think is 12 by 16. The other one's about 9 by 12. Right. Um, you know, one is uh, again, a bit more, a bit more monochromatic. I mean, it's 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 like more like a study in blue and and whites and things like that. Those palettes, and then the larger one has yellows and reds, and and all of them have that like calligraphic foundation, much like what you did, at least um, compositionally with the evidence pieces. Yeah. But maybe you can speak a little bit to the light yeah. falling. Pieces. Yeah, light falling. And again, I was thinking about what's in front of us that we can't see. And, um, and then when I was doing um, those watercolors, I was also working on the Kanak series at the mm. same time. And, and I thought about light and how it reflects off of things. And I thought, what if I could take that reflection and just like peel it off the mm. light and put it somewhere else? What would it look like? And that's what and these are. That's what these are. So now we have this, it's basically light that's coming from an unknown source that's falling down across the surface. Mm. It's really, they're really beautiful. Thank you. They're really nice. And, and then, then behind Victoria is, what, what's, what, what do you call this series? The number series. The number series, right. Yeah, I think so. Um, and again, back to repetition. They're not leaves, they're not flowers. It's, you it's, keep telling me that, but I still keep seeing leaves and it's, flowers. It's me making the same shape over and over and over and over again and layering them 
But of course, I can't make it exactly the same every time. Right. I physically can't do that. I'm not a machine. Well, and also, you're not the same person every from time. moment to moment. Like I'm, my right. cells are changing as we speak. Right. <clears throat> so the and then the numbers are. I started, you know, thinking a lot about time. Time only time through time. Time is conquered. And I thinking about time. We count in in years. And I thought, well, how many days have transpired since the beginning of our Gregorian calendar? So I figured it, including leap years, every four years there's a, there's a day, an extra day. So I figured it out, and the day I finished this particular drawing, it's a pastel, soft pastel on paper, 737,123 days. Have transpired have since transpired. 1101. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. January 1st. Yeah. Zero, 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 0001. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that idea, and because I, I can tie it directly to exactly. this, right? This, because again, on the big painting, all lines are equal, but they're not, right. you know, and then you make decisions about them. And, and you know, ostensibly, these are little triangles, um, yeah. and they're all equal, but they're not. They're not, and they create patterns, and they create movement, um, and it's almost as, you know, it's like the way... Uh, you know, I'm inspired by nature a lot and, and watching, I have an orchard and, and when spring starts to come and the leaves start unfurling and mm. reaching out towards the sun and the patterns that they make. Mm. And I ask myself, does this tree consciously aware of what it's doing? Mm. Is it, mm. Does it know which, you know, do the roots understand which branch is going to be getting the most amount of sun? And, you know, these are thoughts. This, this speaks to con the idea of consciousness for right. God's sake, which is not a, like a small topic. And, no, and, and so these are things I think of when I'm walking through my orchard. Sure, light thoughts, you know, yeah. like little light things. And, yeah, and then where the fruit is growing, right now I've got this nectarine tree that's just loaded. And but because it was a, a drought this year, there's no rain, all the fruit's a lot smaller, mm. you know, because it's not, not quite as juicy. That was juicy, but you know that's okay. The uh, well, but it's it's just interesting that idea of consciousness, and you know we, we sort of have this exalted idea about like human consciousness, mm -hmm. but and Remy, who's in your lap, he mm -hmm. has a consciousness. Uh -huh. You know the, the the idea that a tree would have a consciousness. Yeah. I think once upon a time I would think is preposterous, but now I think about it and go, well, it's got some kind of consciousness. I, Sci just, I just don't know what it is. Scientists know? have done experiments with plants where they throw a piece of bacon. On a, a, in a frying pan uh, with a plant there, and they measure. They're somehow able to measure the, the, the plant, yeah. and the plant like flips out. Oh yeah, no, there's all kinds of stories about that, which we will not get into, right? Because we want to wrap up with these uh, black these and white, little black and white pieces. Um, so the darkness shall be the light, and that's one of them. Yeah, but I, all, I always think of them in the same arena. And the way yeah. I talk about these is, I, I liken them to. Leonardo, and because you know, I know Leonardo is an influence for you and yeah. using the, the use of glazes, but there's this other part of Leonardo that I think is an influence for you, which is the emergence of light from darkness. That's right. Yeah, chiaroscuro. Well, and but this idea that, like, traditionally when you paint, yeah. you almost go from light to, to dark, like your, your, your shadows are the last thing that you lay in. Right. And what da Vinci or what Leonardo used to do is, on you know, several of his works at least, is paint the ground black and then and then emerge that image right. from the darkness as did Caravaggio and so yeah so these you know I start with a, literally a black 
background. So you, but it's a white piece of paper that you yeah. flood it with black. black. And then what I would do is take bleach mm. and draw into it so it burns out the, the black and it leaves this beautiful ochre color. Well, that's like this oxidation uh -huh. because in some areas where the bleach is most um, concentrated, it's it's white. It's gone yeah. back to its normal, yeah. to its regular, or its original state. Right. Um, but then, like on the edges, you get this beautiful halo in these areas where the maybe the the the, the pigment was thicker or the mm -hmm. chloroc or the bleach was a little yeah. thinner, and well, you get that like oxidation, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then I would go in it with into it with um, um, white um, a white pastel. And draw back into those white lines, and then, or sometimes it was with um, uh, white ink or mm -hmm. white uh, watercolor, and and then allow it to f appear as if it's coming from out from behind it mm. and cascading down the surface. I mean, Shane, they're magnificent. In fact, those. I actually have one of these. Yes, so the darkness shall be the light. Um, and I'm that, looking at them now, and I think I should do some paintings of those. What do I think? Well, I mean, when you're done, when you're done with your still points, I maybe know, that'll right? be what comes next. But, uh, but thank you, Victoria, for providing us an opportunity to, to talk about this. I mean, I, I wish that, I, I, as I was talking, I was thinking, God, can we make a video of this? Or, you know, like, I, I want it so that when somebody's hearing what we're talking about, mm -hmm. that they can see the evidence or they can see, you know, the still point um, or the numbers painting. Um, so I would encourage you when you're listening, maybe to go to the website. Um, it's www.grossartla.com. Um, it'll probably, Victoria will put it in the yeah. text part of the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, but thank you for providing this opportunity for thank us. Thank you, Victoria. And then also for providing an opportunity for other people to um, enjoy what I'm enjoying so very much. And Shane, thank you for providing all these great works for me to enjoy. My pleasure. Thank you for having them. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always fun for me to, you know, I do the work and I move on to the next one and the next yeah. one and the next one. And then pretty quick you realize you just traveled a thousand miles. Yeah. And then to turn around and look where you... Dude, you're describing your paintings. Again, I know. Right? So, <laughs> like, so, so here we are. And then, and then, you know, this provides an opportunity for us to commune. Right yeah. to like commune in this in this room with these works. Yeah. Um, to just like you are, and we'll wrap it up with this. Just like you, on um, only through time as time is conquered, and your still points are you're making decisions and highlighting certain things. I'm doing the same thing here. I'm yeah. making decisions, highlighting certain parts of your work, and then now we are able to celebrate that and to share this time together. Yeah. So thank you for allowing us to yes. share this time together. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah. Grazie, grazie, grazie. And Remy. And Remy, getting his Remy. belly rubbed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Oh.